0: Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard, And
1: I'm Clark Corbin.
0: One of those weeks where we've got more topics than time, so plenty to get to. Uh, we're going to try to get you caught up on this week and get you ready for another big week over at the State House. Uh, let's dive in
1: here. Yeah, let's start with, uh, this was kind of your top story this week, Kevin. You took a really close look at the issue of teacher pay and teacher salaries in Idaho. Uh, as most of our readers and listeners will know, uh, the legislature has begun to tackle the issue of teacher pay and retention through the career ladder salary law, and now, three years in, you've had a chance to kind of add up the numbers uh, and see where we stand, but tell me a little bit about your research and your article. Right, so the research is
0: uh, Randy Schrader's work, our data analyst, uh, compiled all the numbers that we reported on this week, and what we did, we looked at how much our districts and charters paying in terms of teacher salaries and uh, dividing that against the number of full-time positions that these schools have. So the bottom line here, the average teacher pay for this year uh, comes in a little bit above $48,000. And that translates to a 3.6% increase from where we were a year ago. And that's the largest increase we've seen so far in the three years of the career ladder, which was passed in 2015. So what what we've seen is gradually and steadily those increases have uh, have increased over time. We were talking about a two percent raise from fifteen to sixteen. And it was two point nine percent last year. And now it's three point six. So you're seeing those numbers starting to nudge their way up. And now that we've had three years in the books, we're also getting maybe more of a sense from schools, still a little bit anecdotal sense of what is this policy doing on the ground in terms of helping uh, schools recruit, retain teachers. What is it doing in the negotiations process? And that's kind of some of the meat of the story that we tried to get to this week as
1: well. And that was interesting. I had done a report uh, in the fall out of a state board of education meeting talking about teacher attrition and teacher turnover and specifically the issue of teachers leaving the profession, mm-hmm. leaving the field mm-hmm. well before retirement age. Um,
0: right. right. I mean, we know we have issues here because we've written about them so much over the past, uh, really, especially over the past few months, even with the career ladder there are retention issues there are alternative certification issues where more and more districts yep. are having to hire uh teachers through alternative hiring routes because it's just hard to find candidates through the the normal route through you know through you know the college of education around the state colleges of education around the state it's just hard for a lot of districts to find teachers and then you've got the issues of retention so that was what I wanted to kind of dig into as well um And again, it's anecdotal at this point. We're we're three years in, there are not really any hard uh, empirical studies to tell whether this is really having a a concrete impact, but, um, you know. The anecdotal evidence suggests, and what we're hearing uh, from, from some of the educators around the state, is that it is helping in terms of recruiting and, and retention.
1: Sure. And even if it is anecdotal, we do have some real numbers to work with. We know the money, uh, the raw dollars that the legislature has invested in each of the past three years in the career ladder, and, and you got some numbers uh, from the state, and we're able to come up. We're essentially talking about some statewide averages, right? Right. We are talking about statewide averages, and...
0: There's wide variation when you look at some districts and charters as opposed to others. I mean, you have uh, on the one end of the scale, you've got the Blaine County School District where the average teacher salary is uh, more than $70,000 a year. Now, high cost of living also in the Blaine County District, but uh, that's where their average salary is. Numerous districts and charters where the average salary comes in well below the statewide average. So, so, so wide variation, also wide variation in terms of What's happened over these three years in terms of teacher teacher pay statewide? The three year increase translates to eight point eight percent, but you know some districts and charters have had increases that are that are greater than that, uh, and some not not quite as as high an increase over three years. So so wide variation, and also wide variation in the way districts are implementing this. I mean, some are using the career ladder as a salary schedule, following what the uh, the law spelled out, other districts are putting the money into their old salary schedules, which they're allowed to do. So lots of variation what's going on on the ground.
1: Sure, and, th- and that's not surprising to see that variation. Uh, there's quite a different makeup uh, between rural schools and more suburban or even urban schools in the state. Uh, but one thing that we've always known is even with the passage of the career ladder, local school districts set their own salaries each year at the local level. And so they get money from the state Uh, Yes, to pay their teachers, but some districts will dip into their operations funding or discretionary Mm -hmm. funding and add on top of what the state uh, sends out. And so that's one of several reasons why you see uh, some variation. That's not a surprise to us. No, no,
0: no. And that's why we're talking Hmm. when we see districts that have an average salary of above $50,000 a year, you can tell at that point that that's a district or a charter school that has opted to put some of their own local money into the salary pool to supplement what's coming in from the state. So, you know, the career ladder and the funding from the state, you know, it's it's part of this equation. It's not the whole of the
1: equation. Sure. And real quickly, you mentioned the career ladder. You mentioned three years in. The career ladder is an ongoing issue. At least that's how the legislature uh, proposed it, that it was a five-year plan, and uh, you and I will be paying close attention next week to get a little bit more information about year four, right? Right,
0: right. And that discussion starts next week uh, with uh, Superintendent Ibarra going before the Joint Finance Appropriation Committee. Uh the push this year is for a $41.7 million installment into the career ladder. Remember, this is a five year plan with a price tag of about $250 million. So it's up to the legislature to decide whether to fund year four. If the first three years are any indication, this has had widespread support in the state house, bipartisan support. Barring some real sea change in sentiment at the state house, I would imagine that uh, year four is going to. going to have a lot of support at the State House, but we'll be there to wait and see.
1: Yeah, I did talk to Dean Mortimer, Senator Dean Mortimer. He's the chair of the Senate Education Committee, and he's a member of that budget writing JFAC committee. He told me this week that he sees strong support for year four of the career ladder salary raises. He also thinks it's important to do year five next year and the master teacher... um, premiums or bonuses that are supposed to be uh, added onto that uh, starting next year as well. Yeah,
0: and, and something to watch for, maybe not this legislative session, but, next but maybe session. 19 and beyond. What do we do to uh, to address veteran teacher salaries? Yep. Is, is, it the, is it going to be the master teacher premium that's been discussed here for a couple of years, or is there going to be another approach? Because there's widespread... Uh, Understanding that uh, the career ladder put most of its money into the bottom end of the salary scale, the beginning end of the salary scale, doesn't do as much for veteran teachers. That's an ongoing issue that uh, the legislature is really going to have to tackle probably in 2019.
1: Yeah. I want to thank you and Randy for that report. Um, It it was a real close look at at following the money and and the dollars. We know it's uh, an important issue across the state. We know teacher retention and recruitment is an ongoing issue, and it's one that we will continue to follow.
0: So we're two weeks into the legislative session, which in theory means we're two weeks closer to adjournment than we were when we started. <laughs> fairly slow, uh, for the most part, a lot of procedural stuff going on, a lot of uh, discussion of administrative rules, introduction of bills. Usually that's fairly uh, fairly routine, fairly boilerplate stuff, but there are exceptions, and you were in house education for one of those exceptions to the rule Get us caught up on
1: this. Kind of a weird meeting on Wednesday at the House Education Committee. We're just getting started, like you said. It's a young legislative session, uh, but the House Education Committee took the highly unusual move of killing a nonpartisan bill that was brought by the State Board of Education during its introductory hearing on Wednesday. And and we're getting a little bit into the weeds here and a little technical. And, and I promise we'll get out quickly and it won't be that rough, mm-hmm. but. Uh, but the it's basic, hard to avoid the weeds
0: when it's evaluations.
1: But, yeah, but. Uh, and this has to do with everyone's favorite topic, teacher evaluations. But uh, so there's sort of this uh, procedural path that you walk to introduce bills as they wind their way through the state house. And the very first step is the introductory hearing, or the print hearing, is what lawmakers call it. Oftentimes, it is just a formality where the legislature will vote, or where the committee will vote to introduce mm-hmm. a bill, knowing that they will come back maybe a week, maybe two weeks later. And have the real hearing. Yeah, have a full, detailed hearing, accept public testimony, call experts in, ask probing questions. So normally, uh, most bills are introduced without issue at the print hearing. That's not what happened on Wednesday. The State Board of Education brought a simple one-page bill... Uh, that state officials said was designed to clear up some confusion about some of these requirements for the teacher evaluation system in Idaho. And this bill would have added only one sentence to Idaho law and it's short enough that I can just read it. Um, but what this bill would have done is added one sentence to Idaho law saying relevant material shall include such documentation necessary to provide evidence of meeting the evaluation requirements established in the state evaluation framework. That's That's what the bill was aimed at doing, and the committee voted 11-4 to kill it. Uh, And why was the committee worked up about it? (sighs) It's a good question. Um, But what they were saying is that they were concerned that this would add all kinds of burdensome administrative requirements on our already beleaguered school districts. Uh, They said, you know, what if this opens up to saving all kinds of documents, and we've opened Pandora's box here and private – Uh, correspondence between an administrator and the teacher are now included in these files and the public gets a hold of them. The bill didn't say that, but those were some of the questions that the committee got. Interestingly, Representative Ryan Kirby, the former uh, superintendent of the New Plymouth School District, kind of led the opposition to this bill. And he kept coming back to asking state officials to tell him how this was going to improve student learning at the end of the day. I talked to some of the Democrats who joined the Republicans in killing this bill, and they said they trust the evaluation system, and it's time to put students first and trust the adults in the system And so that was where kind of the opposition came from, and it was very forceful. That means this bill is dead for the for the session. But Mm -hmm. one of the things I wanted to bring up real quickly, I've covered teacher evaluations for almost three years now, and over the last year, year and a half, we have documented some genuine confusion among school districts and even among Representative Ryan Kirby about what is required, about what... Documents need to be retained and submitted to the state with the teacher evaluations for these reviews and screening. A lot of this is already addressed in law. State law requires every teacher be evaluated every year. State law also requires that those evaluations include documented classroom observations. But I've talked to school superintendents who handle the evaluations issue very, very differently. I talked to one school superintendent who said he immediately destroys all documents associated with the teacher evaluations. The state says that's not right, uh, that these documents are need to be retained um, and reviewed to make sure that we're doing this accurately. And One last thing, one year ago, the State Board of Education gave a presentation to the legislature's education committees, and they reported that 36% of the evaluations that they screened did not meet the minimum state requirements. So that means that, what, 64% did meet the state mm-hmm. requirements? That's a D. Uh, but the House yeah. Education Committee said they're comfortable with that. Uh, I've got a big detailed story from Wednesday if you want to find out a little bit more uh, about it, if you're following this issue. Um okay.
0: And it goes to an old tension that uh, we hear a lot around the state house about what kind of reporting are we expecting districts to do and how much paperwork are we expecting schools to fill out. So we hear that over and over, but this is also an issue where this paperwork, the evaluations that are being done at the local level are important because it goes back to the, the uh, the teacher pay raises that we just talked about in the earlier segment.
1: You talked about the $250 million career ladder plan. The legislature, when they approved that, also approved tying a teacher's ability to earn a raise to performance on those teacher evaluations. That's the law of the land right now. And so the people that supported tying evaluations, and that was controversial for sure, but the people that supported tying evaluations to raises said, if we're going to make this big investment of taxpayer money, we want a little accountability behind it. We want a little bit of transparency uh, to find out if the teachers are meeting performance benchmarks Uh, And so that was viewed as an accountability piece, but uh, the action out of the House Education Committee on Wednesday, at least to me, suggests that the legislature is tired of hearing about this issue, and the House Education Committee does not have the appetite to take it on. Uh, But let's move on. Uh, I want to talk about a new survey that came out this week from Boise State University, talked about a number of of issues that we cover and that we care about uh, across the education spectrum, across the political spectrum. Uh, You were there when the study was unveiled. What were some of the highlights, Kevin?
0: Well, it was an interesting uh, survey. This is something Boise State has been doing. Uh, They've resumed uh, this annual survey of Idahoans to talk about various public policy issues. The reveal was on Wednesday, and the news as far as how Idahoans uh, view the K-12 system, not very encouraging. Well, Idahoans were pretty optimistic about the direction of the state in general, the future of the economy, the state of the economy right now, uh, lots of skepticism about the state of schools. Uh, more than 60% of respondents uh, rated Idaho's uh, K-12 system as either fair or poor. Uh, those numbers are even worse when uh, respondents were asked about whether Idaho Public Schools are preparing high school graduates to continue their education, a topic that's near and dear to my heart that we wrote a big series yeah. about. When you talk about that, 66% of respondents said that the state is only doing a fair or poor job of preparing uh, high school graduates for the future. Numbers get a little bit better when um, when people are asked about their local school district. Uh, the scores get a little bit better, but those are some fairly... Uh, fairly sobering numbers that that came out, especially when you think about uh, some of the other results um, about the economy, uh, about, you know, the state of the economy, uh, about the direction the state is going. Yeah, uh,
1: for sure, uh, an interesting report, and it touches on a lot of the things that we cover. Uh, you've highlighted some of the interesting responses. If folks can go back through and and dig through the headlines and find that. I believe that was published on yes. Thursday. Yes, on
0: on Thursday, and a day before that, uh, Education Week came out with its annual rankings of the states uh, the states school systems, and Idaho. Here again, uh, not very. Uh, not very encouraging results. Overall, Idaho received a D-plus grade, which translates to uh, ranking 48th among the states and the District of Columbia. Um, important to dig into what Education Week was ranking. But yeah,
1: what does that, that D-plus mean? Because there's certain things they take into into account way heavily. Right, right?
0: and it's really easy to oversimplify about what a D-plus uh, grade means in this case. Uh now, Education Week does look at uh, test scores, graduation rates, uh, you know, those kind of performance metrics. But a big part of the rankings has to do with demographics. A big, big part of the rankings has to do with school funding. Yep. And not surprising that Idaho ranked, actually ranked dead last in terms of school finance, according to the Education Week rankings. We, we write about this over and over. Idaho's per-pupil spending is among the, the lowest uh, levels in the nation. So even though Education Week kind of says that they take these um, school finance numbers and they kind of weight them based upon uh, you know, cost of living, based on uh, you know how expensive a state is opposed, as opposed to other states, still, Idaho ranked dead last in terms of school finance. So it's important to remember that uh, that D-plus is not entirely a grade on quality of education, sure, sure. but it's more of a, a grade about the, the health of the overall school the system, system yeah. uh, as Education Week uh, grades it. But uh, we break that down as well on my blog, so you can look at both of those uh, results.
1: Okay, good stuff. Thanks so much uh, for sharing that, Kevin.
0: We did not expect that you would spend much of this week looking at the what's going on in New Plymouth, but it's been a very uh, turbulent week in the New Plymouth School District. Uh, you've been writing about this uh, in between writing about stuff at the Statehouse. What is going
1: on out there? Yeah, I've gotten to the point where I now recognize if a phone call is coming from New Plymouth based on the exchange that's popping up on caller ID, but real quickly, uh, quite a mess out in New Plymouth. The latest is that the school board met earlier this week and placed New Plymouth High School Principal Cleet Edmondson on paid administrative leave pending an investigation. And it was a bizarre path we took to get to that school board vote um, on Tuesday afternoon, I got a tip uh, that Cleet had suddenly and unexpectedly left the high school and was not going to be coming back, and uh, nobody knew what was going on. So I called up, spoke with the superintendent out at New Plymouth, Kevin Barker. He told me that Cleet Edmondson worked a normal day as principal of New Plymouth High on Tuesday, and then at the end of the day, suddenly offered a letter of resignation indicating he had other interests to pursue. Kevin Barker told me that this was voluntary, so that was the first story. The next day, Cleed Edmondson called me back and said that in his opinion, he was forced into resigning, was not given time to think, uh, was surprised to be called into the office by Kevin Barker and an attorney, and presented with two unpleasant options. He said he didn't have time to think, and in the moment, he chose to resign, but he immediately regretted that decision, and so... A day later, on Wednesday, he delivered another letter to Kevin Barker and the school board saying that he was rescinding his, in, a letter, in, in, his in, original letter of resignation. Right,
0: and in between that, you'd had student protests out there Wednesday morning, uh, students uh, you know, coming to uh, Edmondson's defense saying that he
1: shouldn't be forced out or should be uh, allowed to stay on the job. Yeah, I, I worked out of Boise this week. I didn't make it out right. to New Plymouth. I was just... In terms of full disclosure, I was working out of the state capitol building. I didn't go out to New Plymouth. But, but folks sent us videos of a student walk out and protest demonstration on Wednesday. It was about 9.30 in the morning. Uh, at least a couple dozen students walked out of class and were chanting Edmondson's name. That night, the school board met, and they placed Edmondson on paid administrative leave uh, pending this investigation Cleet told me he expects the investigation to take up to 60 days, and he's just going to stay home until uh, he hears from the school board. But there have been student protests. There have been community protests. Clearly, some of the staff members uh, working in New Plymouth are concerned and... There's a lot going on. It, right. It's quite a situation out there, and this is maybe a little bit more of a high-profile situation
0: because Cleet Edmondson is a fairly high-profile high school principal. Uh, the backstory here: uh, Edmondson served in the legislature. Uh, I believe he served three terms in the legislature from '03 you know. to '08. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then later was an aide to Governor Otter uh, for for some time before he went went into. Uh, Went back into education and uh, took the job in New Plymouth. So, yeah, you know, it's one of those stories that, that takes on a little bit more. Uh, you know, people are more interested in it simply because uh, you know Edmondson's a fairly high profile individual. I had a lobbyist at the state house on Thursday flag me down, ask me what's going on in New Plymouth, and you know, I said, "Well, you know, if you, if you read our coverage, you know about it as much as I know." But but that kind of speaks to the fact that this is one of these stories that. Uh, people are interested in simply because of uh, at least
1: one of the personalities involved. It's odd. It's dramatic. There's back and forth. Um, But, you know, this has been one of the most well-read articles that we've ever done in our five-year history at Idaho Education News, so much so I looked at the Census Bureau data well more People have, so many more people have read this article than even live in the town of New Plymouth. Uh, so that's how bizarre this thing is. If you want, it, if you missed it somehow, you can head over to Idaho Ed News. Uh, look for the if New Plymouth. If you actually headlines. live
0: in New Plymouth and listen to this podcast and haven't read our stories on New Plymouth, you know you, you, you're. You're an outlier in New Plymouth, apparently.
1: Yeah, but maybe maybe I can go another day or two and not have to write about New Plymouth. We'll see, and we will keep you guys posted. But uh, I think that covers what I wanted to highlight this week. Next week, though, is a big week at the state capitol. You alluded to it earlier, talking about salaries and teacher pay, but... Um, just prime us a little bit for next week and and what's going to be happening. Yeah,
0: next week is Education Week at the legislature. It's the week that uh, the Joint Joint Finance Appropriations Committee uh, starts digging into the education budgets. Uh, That means they're going to look at the higher education CEO proposal. They're going to hear from the university presidents. And then on Thursday, uh, Sherry Ibarra is going to do her K-12 budget uh, presentation. That's always uh, one of the most... uh, Closely watched budget presentations uh, of the year will be there in force for that. Uh, it's going to be a full week of covering uh, JFAC, some, some quality time early in the morning for us uh, uh, sitting in those uh, committee meetings.
1: Yeah. Each day, if you guys want to come back and check Idaho Ed News uh, in the afternoon, we'll have daily updated stories out of these budget hearings. Let you know. Um, What people are proposing, what they're pushing for, how the lawmakers are reacting, and then we'll have big coverage Thursday afternoon. That's one of, like you said, the closest watched hearings of the whole year. We have to get there extra early to even get a seat Mm -hmm. in the room. And, And so real quickly, why does it matter? K twelve spending is the state's largest expense every year out of the state general fund budget. When we talk about K through twelve public schools, we're talking about forty eight percent of the general fund budget. When you throw higher ed into the mix, we're talking like sixty two, sixty three percent of all state spending, uh, and we're going to hear all of those proposals next week. So it's a huge week for us. And
0: and, and let's not lose sight of the politics that uh, kind of uh, lie not too far under the surface this time around. Uh, This is going to be Superintendent DeVara's fourth presentation before JFAC. It is an election year. She is seeking re-election, so everything she says and proposes about K-12 spending is going to be under a little bit closer scrutiny just because of that. Uh, we talked about the higher ed CEO proposal. This is uh, Governor Otter's uh, kind of last bid at uh, dealing with uh, higher education and trying to uh, streamline the higher education system. So that kind of uh, you know, is going to be viewed in a political uh, lens as well, because whatever the legislature does on this, you know, it, it's it's also going to you know be something that the next governor, whoever that turns out to be, is going to inherit. So lots of politics that. Uh, you know, also, uh, you know, we'll cloud the debate and we'll, we'll flavor the
1: debate. And we'll continue to cover, you've had a couple of stories and blog items this week. We will continue to cover the races that matter as we inch closer and closer to the May primaries. Those will be here before you know it. But I think that just about wraps up everything I wanted to cover on this week's podcast. We've had a lot of fun. Guys, I think this was the 99th episode of Extra Credit. Next week will be our 100th show. We've had a lot of fun. We're so excited that um, you guys have been listening and following along and uh, so thank you so much uh, for joining us and uh, following along as, as we cover Idaho education policy and the legislature and kind of this complicated intersection of budgets and policy and political discussions. Um, it's been a lot of fun for us and we're glad you guys are there. If you want to follow all of our breaking news in real time, you can follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. We'll be sending out some tweets from those big budget hearings next week. Uh, but as always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.